people than it would have apart from all of this that's gone on. But I desperately catch myself asking God for direction and correction and clear communication, much like the people in Jeremiah's time. You know, God used that statement 143 times in the 52 chapters of Jeremiah. I know I counted them three times just to make sure because once, twice, once I got a different number and so I had to go back and count again. So I'm going with the one that I got twice, 143 times. He tells Jeremiah to stand up before his people and say, this is what the Lord says. So let's look at this. I believe in the first uh, In chapter 2 and verse 3 in Jeremiah is where we're going to be. You can turn there in your Bibles. The the words should be on the screen. They will be in the New Living Translation, but you read what translation you feel is best for you. But in chapter, all chapter 2 and the first five verses of chapter 3, I believe God sums up all that he's going to be telling his people through Jeremiah in the 52 chapters. And I want to read some of that this morning. Well, really, I want to read all of that this morning, and then I want us to talk about it. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, The Lord gave me another message. He said, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. All who harmed his people were declared guilty, and disaster fell on them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through this barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, and a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels. And when I brought you into a fruitful and land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me, and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. Therefore, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such things and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Why has Israel become a slave? Why has he been carried away as plunder? Strong lions have roared against him, and the land has been destroyed. The towns are now in ruins, and no one lives in them anymore. Egyptians, marching from their cities of Memphis and Tephanes, have destroyed Israel's glory and power. And you have brought this upon yourselves by rebelling against the Lord your God, even though he was leading you on the way. What have you gained by your alliances with Egypt and your covenants with Assyria? What good to you are the streams of the Nile or the waters of the Euphrates River? 
Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. You turning from me will shame you. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to hear him. I, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Long ago I broke the yoke that oppressed you and tore away the chains of your slavery, but you still said, I will not serve you. On every hill and under every green tree you have prostituted yourselves by bowing down to idols, but I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? No amount of soap or lye can make you clean. I still see the stain of your guilt. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. You say, that's not true. I haven't worshipped the images of Baal, but how can you say that? Go and look in the valley and in the land. Face the awful sins you have done. You are like a restless female camel desperately searching for a mate. You're like a wild donkey sniffing the wind at mating time. Who can restrain her lust? Those who desire her don't need to search, for she goes running to them. When will you stop running? When will you stop panting after other gods? But you say, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods, and I can't stop loving them now. Israel is like a thief who feels shame only when, her, when he gets caught. They're, they, their kings, officials, priests, and prophets are all alike in this. To an image carved from a piece of wood, they say, you are my father. To an idol chiseled from a block of stone, they say, you are my mother. They turn their backs on me, but in times of trouble, they cry out to me, come and save us. But why not call on those gods you have made? When trouble comes, let them save you if they can. For you have as many gods as there are towns in Judah. Why do you accuse me of doing wrong? You are the ones who have rebelled, says the Lord. I have punished your children, but they did not respond to my discipline. You yourselves have killed your prophets as, lion, as a lion kills its prey. Oh, my people, listen to the words of the Lord. Have I been like a desert to Israel? Have I been to them a land of darkness? Why then do my people say, at last we are free from God? We don't need him anymore. Does a young woman forget her jewelry or a bride her wedding dress? Yet for years on end, my people have forgotten me. How you plot and scheme to win your lovers, even an experienced prostitute could learn from you. Your clothing is stained with the blood of the innocent and the poor, though you didn't catch them breaking into your houses. And yet you say, I have done nothing wrong. Surely God isn't angry with me. But now I will punish you severely because you claim you have not sinned. First here, then there. You flit from one ally to another asking for help, but your new friends in Egypt will let you down just as Assyria did before. In despair, you will be led into exile with your hands on your heads, for the Lord has rejected the nations you trust. They will not help you at all. If a man divorces a woman and she goes and marries someone else, he will not take her back again, for that would surely corrupt the land. But you have prostituted yourselves with many lovers, so why are you trying to come back to me? Says the Lord, look at the shrines on every hilltop. Is there any place you have not defiled? You have not been defiled by your adultery with other gods. You sit like a prostitute beside the road waiting for a customer. You sit alone like a nomad in the desert. You have polluted the land with your prostitution and your wickedness. That's why even the spring rains have failed. For you are a brazen prostitute and completely shameless. Yet you say to me, Father, you have been my God since my youth. Surely you won't be angry forever. 
Surely you can forget about it. So you talk, but you keep on doing all the evil you can. Father God, your word this morning is piercing. Just like I imagine in my mind's eye, it was coming straight through your prophet Jeremiah. And Father, I believe that your people, in a lot of ways, are the same way as the people that you spoke to through Jeremiah. But God, I don't want to be that way. And I can't help believe your people don't want to be that way. So would you speak to us this morning? Father, open our hearts to truly see the condition, its condition and give us courage and give us strength to face your truth, knowing that there is healing, claiming what the blood of Christ can do, which is what we cannot do, save us. And so, Father, speak to us this morning. May we be quick to listen and even quicker to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. See, God's word through Jeremiah to his people showed that they had lost their zeal for the Lord. In the first three verses of chapter 2, he says, The Lord gave me another message. He said, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. You see, they had a passion and a zeal to follow God. They... They saw what God had done in and through their midst. But yet, through syncretism and all of those things, they began to forget and lose that passion to follow the Lord. But they also strayed from God to pursue worthless idols. Verse 5 says, Why did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Verse 11 says, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless gods. It's echoed in, in verse 20, where he says, On every hill and under every green tree, you have prostituted yourselves by bowing down to idols. Seen again in verses 23 through 25. When they begin to try to rebuke God and say, that's not true. I haven't worshipped those images of Baal, but how can you say that? Go and look in the valley in the land. Face the awful sins you have done. You are like a restless female camel searching for a mate. And he says, but you say, save your breath. In verse 25, I'm in love with those foreign gods and I can't stop loving them. He said, go and look. There's not a place you can't put your eyes on that it's not proof that you love other things more than you love me. Just look around. Look around, and it's to the point that you're willfully saying, I can't follow you, God, because I'm in love with these other things way too much more to follow you. They strayed from God to pursue worthless idols, but they also devalued 
the word of God. In verses 6 and 8, he says, They did not ask, Where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits and a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels? And when I brought you into the fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possessions I had promised you. The priest did not ask, Where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. Even God's priest did not value the word that he wanted to give through them. They also forgot the value of their, starvation, of their salvation. In verse 20 he says, Long ago I broke the yoke that oppressed you, and tore away the chains of your slavery, but you still said, I will not serve you. And so their, their willingness to stray from God to pursue worthless idols, to losing their zeal for God, devaluing the revealed word of God, and forgetting the value of God's working in their lives brought some incredible results. For one, they exchanged freedom in God with bondage and slavery, as seen in verse 14. They lost way more than they ever could have gained through their choices. Their disobedience brought terrible consequences to their land. To their land. Isn't that interesting? Not just to them, but to their land. They exchanged glory and power for chains of shame. Verse 16. And they reaped their just reward. Verse 19. So I know you must join with me and say, Bob, that's terrible. That is just terrible for God's people during Jeremiah's time to go through that. I wish it was different for them. But you see, what I see when I read those passages in Jeremiah, I see us today. I mean, I, more clearly than I ever have before, I see me, I see God's people Right in the middle. I mean, it is almost as if he wrote it in 2020. See, God's word through Jeremiah speaks to us today. Because I believe we too have, in many ways, have lost our zeal for the Lord. Compared to the first church in Acts, what did it say that they, how often did they meet? Daily. Don't let just the preacher answer that. They met daily, but, but that's not normal, right? We can't meet daily. You know, nowadays, modern surveys, we see that 1.7 people believe they are active in a church. If, oh, I'm sorry, most of the people believe that they're active in church, consider themselves active in a church if they go 1.7 times a month. Personal and corporate holiness is not as important as it was even in the first church. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? See, we too have lost our zeal for the Lord. And I believe we too have strayed from God to pursue worthless idols. But see, our idols look a little bit different, don't they? They might not be in Asherah Pole or I'm probably not going to go over to Miss Gail's house. I drive by her house every day. I see her out there working in slacks and a long sleeve shirt. How she does it, I don't know. But I'm sure I'll go by her house today. I'm not going to see an idol out there in her house. But that doesn't mean Miss Gail, I believe she doesn't. 
She still could have idols in her life. I believe many of us have idols in our lives. They just look a little different. See, we have the idol of happiness, pursuing happiness or experience. And see, that's one thing I hear, especially in the lives of teenagers today, is they're lamenting missing experiences. Dare I say, we feel like we are owed, obligated to have those pleasure experiences. Sports is a big one. But yet we can see, and we don't like giving it up, do we? You know what made our country great? The Industrial Revolution, correct? And what made it great? We made stuff. The best stuff, right? Made in the good old U.S. of A. Well, we make stuff now, but you know what the main commodity that we make and peddle? Entertainment. Entertainment. Can any country really beat our sports teams? No, and if you go and look, the most watched shows or things on TV in history, over 75% of them are sports related. O.J. Simpson was in there, though. I thought that was kind of interesting. His little car drive and then the verdict, that was in there. And the landing on the moon, I think, was the most popular. But most of them were sporting events. Or maybe it's seeking social popularity or personal gain. See, in so many ways, we've strayed from God and we've pursued worthless idols. And we, too, have devalued the revealed revealed. Word of God, the spoken, the preached Word of God. Research today shows a decreasing trend in those identifying themselves as Christian. Research also shows an increasing trend of less church attendance of those identifying as Christian. And so we're losing on both sides, right? Not only are there less Christian today, there are people that identify themselves as Christians today, but then of those that identify themselves as Christians today, less of them are going to church. And of those regular church attenders, a growing percent of them prefer shorter sermons. Say it, Lee, you said it before. Don't come to Dawson Street Baptist Church. There's actually surveys done of polling people, Christians, churchgoers, on how we can be more palatable to them when they come back to church. Many churches are maybe still not gathering in person. And one of the things that they said very consistently is they would like shorter sermons. Can we not say that we too have devalued the revealed word of God? But we also too have forgotten the value of our salvation. And maybe it's because we're being distracted by the world. You know, I, I kind of think of the world as, as that little section um, where you walk, they're called uh, impulse buys. You know, like I took Garrett and Perry, we took a little trip, and I, I took them down to Disney because it was supposed to be less crowded and all that, and we were going to ride the Pirates of the Caribbean. And on the way there, my eldest grandson said, Papa, I really want one of those swords there, those little plastic swords. Man, I really would like one. Would you buy me one? I'm like, well, why do you, what kind of sword do you want? It's like this kid right here, and the kid was like, I said, the kid's three. You're, you're going into the fifth grade. You're 10 years old. You don't need one of those. Papa, I really need one. And I know where they're going to be. Right when we get done with the ride, what do you do? You walk th- through impulse buy, 
situ- area, right, where all the stuff's there that you never knew you really needed, your life wouldn't be complete unless you got it. And so I said, okay, how about I let you earn it? He said, well, okay, yeah, I like that. Well, how will I earn it? I said, well, I want you to come over to the house. I'll buy you the sword, but you're going to have to, when we get back, come over to the house and work. Work. Um, what do you mean by that, Papa? I said, um, we'll go outside and we'll work in the yard. And he's like, oh, I don't really think I need that sword. <laughs> but don't we, too, even as adults, get distracted by all the really cool little things in the world? And, and, and they, that commercials prick our, our little thought, oh, wow, I didn't know I needed that, but now I really need that, and now my life's not going to be complete unless I have that. For only $19.95, two-day shipping, I can have it. You know, those types of things. Or by chasing after other things instead of chasing after the best thing. And that's why I see most of our teenagers that I come in contact with today, they're great teenagers. Man, I love them. I still love them. I still love being around those teenagers. Man, I was, telling, I was, watching, I was watching Spencer, you know, uh, hit the chimes. I said, Spencer, he didn't hit them very loud first service. And I said, Spencer, this time, man, ring that sucker hard and then wink at me when you do. You know what I mean? Let that thing sound out because it sounds so cool. He was still a little bit timid, but I still love teenagers. But one of the things I see with them is, is they're distracted by a lot of good things. But the problem comes is when these good things take the place of the best thing. When all these good things of making great ga- grades, and you should make great grades, Great grades. I can't even say it, but you should still do it. You know, uh, being in our society and all those things, being a part of these clubs, they're all wonderful and they're great, except when they become more important than your relationship with God. Or maybe we have forgotten how much we still need to be saved. You know, do you remember when you got saved? Boy, I do. I do. I was... 25, chasing the world's dreams. Boy, I had a nice job. I had a new car. had a beautiful wife. She, okay, I have a beautiful wife. Not like she's not beautiful anymore. <laughs> have a beautiful wife. You know, a baby on the way. But man, I was miserable. So I thought, well, I'm just working too much. If I could find a way to work less but still make a ton of money, hey, Winner, winner, right? So I got involved in Amway. <laughs> I got I know your experience with Amway. I don't have a bad experience with Amway. It's part of my story. And so I got involved in Amway. But I did not know that those that had spot And man, I was sharing that plan. You know, you buy the stuff for you. You find people to buy the stuff for them. You know what I mean? And man, we were going and blowing and going 30, 40 times a month. I was sharing that plan. But I didn't realize that that's not why God had me in Amway, because every person that had sponsored me for like 30 deep were all devout followers of Christ, and they knew I wasn't. And I hated Christians, too. Christy's brothers were fundamental Baptist preachers, and I did not like them. I thought, how can you talk about God all the time? They would sing, they would hymn stuff, and I'm like, there's no way, they're so fake, you know? I had a friend that I worked with, Robert Conrad, who he was... I knew he loved God. 
I didn't like his God or love his God, but I could not deny that his God was making a difference. And so the pot was just right. And one weekend we went um, to, it's called a dream weekend, and they bring all of their nice stuff and everything. And I'm not, not please don't, I'm not trying to paint Amway in a bad light. I have nothing but a great experience with that. But you start saying, hey, all this could be you if you just get your network going and all that kind of stuff. But that's not why God had me there. Because finally, after the birth of my first child, 17 hours of labor, I hold her in my arms. She's crying like crazy. I start talking to her. She gets perfectly calm because she knows my voice. Because I would talk to her when she was in the womb and all that kind of stuff. You know, hey, it's your dad. I can't wait to meet you. You know, I mean, it's so, but she knew my voice. And God convicted me. How can you help this little child live the right way when you're literally living like hell? And so that Sunday morning, my wife finally beat me down and I went to church. 40,000 other people. Never forget the guy. He started sharing the gospel. And man, just Reese, like I'm looking at you, he wasn't speaking to nobody else but me. And God used him and told me without a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die today, you know what would happen to you. And not only that, you're leading your family that way too. You better get it together. You need me. And man, I'm going to tell you, when he offered that invitation, I could not. I don't know if I floated down, levitated, or actually walked. But next thing I know, I'm standing in the front of that guy. And he's sharing the gospel with me. And he's telling me how to give my life to Christ. And I've never looked back. But man, I'm going to tell you, it was so exciting. I want to tell everybody. I want to tell my dad. Because... Lord knows for 25 years you learn how to live not honoring God, you know, and I want to tell everybody, man, do I still have that zeal and that passion today, remembering my salvation? Do you still have that zeal and passion of knowing just how bad you were and how incredible God's salvation was? It's, man, I need to be saved, just like the song we sang, I need to be saved every day. Praise God there's Jesus, because I need him. Man, have you lost? Have you forgotten the value of your salvation? 1 John 2 says it like this. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and the pride of our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, just like God spoke through Jeremiah those 143 times, he's still desiring to speak to his people today. But maybe, just maybe... We're asking him to speak to us in a way that he doesn't speak. We want that 4G, that LTE, that blockbuster movie way. Yet maybe God's wanting to speak to us like he spoke to the prophet Elijah on the mountain. He wasn't in the storm. Where was he? And he is taking things away to get us to that point. You know, he, to where we can hear him speak to us. See, I believe God's saying today that I have a word for you. Just like he did in, in 2 Chronicles 7. Let me read that. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12. He said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as a place of, for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. 
Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and will set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. See, he's waking, waiting for us to seek him. He's ready and willing to bring forgiveness and restoration and blessing. And so, Bob, you're clapping and complaining. You're fussing to Brother Lee. You know, that's what I love about him is I never ask, can I talk? I just walk right in. And he's always so gracious to stop and just to listen to, just like he's doing now, just to listen to me and allow me to work through things. And we gripe sometimes. We gripe about the condition of our world, about the condition of our land. But what does God say the answer to that? Not that the land changed, but what? That his people change, that we draw back to him, that we confess our sins and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven and will forgive our sins and heal our land. Our land. He has a word for us. He wants to restore us. And he promised Jeremiah, promised the people in Jeremiah uh, 29, verses 10 through 14. He says, For I have plans, I have, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, the plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days you will pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. But yet we are the only things that are holding it back. See, 2 Peter 3 says he's not slow to act, but his patience is for our sake because he doesn't want us to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But see, God also wants to tell us today that he's in control. See, his message to, to the people through Jeremiah even though that they were getting, uh, they were getting attacked by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, he said, listen, they're only doing what's coming from my hand. God was taking the measures that he needed to to get his people's attention. See, he works through the good, but he also works through the bad, does he not? And that where he says in Romans 8 that he works all things for the good, for those who love him. But yeah, I catch myself saying, no, God, don't take that away. Don't take this away. No, God, I really need that. Or I really want that. Or I, you know I have to have that, and I want to hold on to it. And then when he finally rips it from my clenched hands, my white knuckles, then I gripe about what he's done, and yet realizing that God is taking these things away to help me draw closer to him. He wants to, us to break the cycle of disobedience and to seek him wholly. Malachi 3 says, I'm the Lord and I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But when we return, he wants all of us. Exodus 34 says that, that we must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Hebrews 12, 
Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. See, he realizes that we weren't created with the capacity of divided loyalty. That, and that's the problem is we either want all the one or all the other. You know, Matthew 6, he was saying, listen, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. But he also wants you to know that he is enough. So, James... I know it's late. I'm sorry. Hey, what did Lee say? If you're coming here for a 20-minute sermon, you know. By the way, did you know that the average Catholic sermon is 14 minutes? I found that out. Um, let's, I want to take a minute. I want to take a minute. And I wanted to just roll through some scriptures on the screen. So, James, you'll just do it manually and just quiet your heart and and listen, we're not going to read them. You can read them. I won't read them to you. But just, James, just kind of roll through them. And let's ask God to speak to us.
Listen to this in Revelation 22. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Have you allowed God the opportunity to speak to you? Are you unable to stay away from all the noise of this world in order to hear him? Will you ask God to speak to you? Will you do your part and position yourself to really hear him? Will you be brave and let God lovingly and precisely remove those things in your life that are keeping you away from the best thing in your life? God. Because see, in Jeremiah 3, he tells us this, Then the Lord said to me, Even faithless Israel is less guilty than treacherous Judah. Therefore, go and give them this message to Israel. This is what the Lord says. O Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you've rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols under every green tree. Confess that you refuse to listen to my voice. I, the Lord, have spoken. Return home, you wayward children, says the Lord, for I am your master. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, one from this town or two from that family, from wherever you are scattered, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. I asked God, even prayed, God, I don't want to preach this. Because I know I've spent a lot of my time chasing worthless things. And all I have for it is regret and shame. I'm tired of trying to listen. I, I don't, but I'm tired of what the world is telling us we need to do or say or be. I want to hear from the Lord. Will you let God remove those things in your life? Wherever this message finds you, will you allow God to remove whatever he needs to remove in your life? So that you can truly hear from him. Because truly everything else is just a craving. Anything this world has to offer will never satisfy us. It's only a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as June comes and plays. June, did you pick that song beforehand? It was perfect. If you'll play the first verse of that song. And you respond to God as God leads you.